0: For most of my life, the only thing I knew about the War of 1812 was that it happened in 1812. That's all that I knew about it. Uh, But uh, you can turn me up a little bit, Brad. Uh, But in reality, actually, there's a lot of cool things to learn (laughs) about the War of 1812. Uh, It's it's actually such uh, a vital uh, and important part of our history as a nation. So Congress declared war on Great Britain on June 18th, 1812, all right? Uh, And they did that because of Britain's interference with American international trade. Uh, And then on August 24th, 1814, British troops marched into Washington, D.C. uh, And they actually set on fire the Capitol building. uh, And they set on fire the White House. Uh, So that's pretty intense. Right? I mean, as you can imagine, this was quite a shock uh, to the young American nation, you know. Uh, And so uh, Americans began to fear what would happen to their country. Uh, And so then the British, they set their sights on Baltimore because there's a really critical seaport there called Fort McHenry. Uh, And so on September 13th, 1814, British warships began the bombardment of Fort McHenry, okay? Uh, And the bombardment continued throughout the night uh, while the nation anxiously awaited to see what would become of Fort McHenry and Baltimore. And on September 14th, an amateur poet, uh, he was on board a ship uh, that was a few miles off in the distance out of harm's way. But uh, nevertheless, he could see the battle and he was watching with great nervousness uh, the battle taking place. This is such an important, important battle. Uh, And so, um, uh, as the morning dawned, the next morning, the poet, off of his ship, he could barely see the American flag still waving over Fort McHenry. And he was so moved by this sight that he just immediately sat down and wrote a song about it. And you're probably at least somewhat familiar with the first verse Oh say can you see by the dawn's early light What so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming Whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight O'er oh, the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air Gave proof through the night that our flag was still there Oh say does that star-spangled banner yet wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. You see, folks, great victories demand great songs. They demand them. (laughs) And so if that's true for the War of 1812, how much truer is it when it comes to God's victory over his enemies? And so... If you're new with us, we've been going through the book of Exodus. And what has just happened, what we saw last week, we saw the Red Sea part so that the Israelites could walk across on dry ground. We saw 600 chariots of Pharaoh's army rush after them. And then we saw those large walls of water come crashing down and drowning the Egyptian army. And so what do the Israelites decide to do? After witnessing this, they sing. (laughs) They sing a song of victory, and that song is recorded in Exodus chapter 15, where we come today. So let's turn there now. Let's see the song of victory that they sing. Exodus chapter 15, and we will look at verses one through 21 together. And if you have your Bible with you, you can turn there now. If not, the verses will be on the screen behind me, okay? Exodus 15, 1 through 21. And as we read, I'd like for you to imagine two million voices singing this song together in unison. Two million singing this. This is the song of Moses, the song of victory. Verse 1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand, and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, Your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord. For he is highly exalted, both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. This is God's word. Okay, so there are many unique things about Christianity. Uh, But one of of the many unique things about Christianity is that singing has always been a central part of our faith. Always, like way back in the beginning. Singing has been a critical element. And no other religion is like that. Christianity is, is pretty much it. OK, you could I guess you could somewhat include Judaism, too. But um, Christians sing more than Jews do. We are a singing people. Okay, And so here's the pattern we see throughout the whole Bible. We see God saves and then his people sing. And then rinse and repeat. (laughs) Okay, God saves and his people sing. And then God saves again and then his people sing again. (laughs) Right. So uh, this is the pattern we see. From beginning to end, Genesis and Revel- through, all the way through Revelation, okay? Now, if you've been in church for a long time, you may no longer realize just how strange it is what we do on Sundays. I mean, isn't it just kind of odd? Like, you, you probably haven't thought too much about it. You know, it is kind of unique that we spend 20 minutes or so here on Sunday mornings just singing. Like, there's really no other context for that in American life, certainly, Right? I am mean, sure, p- people will sing along with their car radio, you know, or, or w- with their, with their uh, iPhone on a run or something, uh, but there are not many occasions in our world uh, where hundreds of people just gather to sing. And I'm not talking about at a concert, okay? Uh, obviously, you know, we got a concert where we're kind of singing along with the, with the main guy we came to, to hear, right? But it's very rare that the people are the main voices, Right? Like, that's extremely unique. Like, how many, how many guys would just raise your hand and say, yeah, me and the boys this weekend, we're all just going to get together, at Earl's house, and we're going to sing together. We're just going to sing. Like, that just okay, so Cole does in the back. But other than Cole, like, pretty much nobody does that, okay? You don't gather to sing. And so what we do on Sundays is, just, it's unique. <laughs> it doesn't really happen anywhere else. Uh, in our lives. it It's just, but this, it is the case with our religion. It's what God's people do. God saves, and his people sing, <laughs> uh, right? It's, that's just the pattern of our religion. Uh, and so, uh, here's what we have in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is filled with songs. You may not realize that, but it's filled with songs, okay? So, we have songs, by Moses, Miriam, Deborah, Barak, David, and Hannah, and that's not to mention the biggest book of the Bible, which is 150 songs in the Psalter, okay? So the Old Testament is filled with songs, but would you like to know, so is the New Testament. It is filled with songs. We find hymns in John, Romans, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Hebrews, and Revelation. There are a lot more songs in the Bible than you probably realize. There's a bunch of them. Now, why is that? Why is that? Why are there so many songs in the Bible? Why do God's people sing? It's because God is so spectacular. He is so great that mere speech won't cut it. It won't do. No, sir. No, sir. We must let the trumpets blast, the cymbals roar, and the voices sing of the greatness of our God. We must strike up the band for him. <laughs> I mean, let's just think together. Let's just think. Put on our thinking caps. Think about what Moses and the Israelites just witnessed with their own eyeballs. Think about what they just witnessed. We have 600 of the greatest warrior chariots in the world who are hunting them, okay? hunting them to their front to their back is the red sea they are trapped they are under the sentence of the death of death and then wouldn't you know it through the mighty hand of their god as it turns out it was actually the egyptians who were under the sentence of death god rescued his people out from under a sentence of death and brought them out from under egypt and finally Destroyed the threat, drowning the 600 chariots in the sea. They just witnessed this with their their eyeballs. They just saw this take place. And so, folks, this ain't something that you just quietly talk about together after you see that. Right? I mean, you don't just say, well, hey, that was kind of neat. Wasn't that neat? I thought it was kind of cool when the, all the chariots drowned and stuff. Uh, all the water and stuff. That was cool, wasn't it? That was neat. That's not how you respond to something like that, is it? No. <laughs> That's not how you respond. You don't talk quietly amongst yourselves. <laughs> no, you strike up the band when you see that happen, when you see something that extraordinary. We see a victory that great, it requires a great song. That's what it requires. It requires a great song. And so that's what we do. Our God wins the victory for us, and we sing. <laughs> it makes rational sense, doesn't it? We strike up the band for him. Okay, so when God's people sing to him, what's the content of our songs? Like, you know, what does a song look like? Well, Today's passage is awesome, okay? Uh, it teaches us three elements that our songs uh, should have, okay? Three elements that every one of our songs should include. And, and this is what we see in our passage today. So if you've got an outline, if you've got a bulletin, point number one. God's people sing of who he is. God's people sing of who he is, okay? So when we sing, we're not singing about us. Although if you turn on a modern worship station, you might think differently, Uh, I'm really sick and tired of singing about me and my feelings and what I'm going through. I want to sing about God. (laughs) I want to sing about my creator. And this is certainly the example of Scripture. Uh, The songs in Scripture, the primary subject of the songs is God. Okay? It's not us. Now, he makes me feel. No, God is the subject. And specifically, his nature and his character. We don't sing about our opinions of who God is. Uh, We don't sing about who we hope God is. You know, Jesus is my boyfriend kind of songs. No, in Scripture we sing about the character of God that has been objectively declared through his word. Okay? We don't guess. We're not inventing the character of God. He's told us his character. He's revealed it to us in his word. And so we look here at his word in chapter 15 of Exodus, and we see Israel says here in chapter 15, The following about God. They say, The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is my strength and my defense. The Lord is majestic in power. The Lord has unfailing love. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Israel says, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? majestic in holiness awesome in glory you see folks the bible reveals a supremely great supremely beautiful and supremely valuable god on every page and that is who we're singing to not some rinky dink god of our imagination Not Jesus is my boyfriend. No, we are singing to the infinitely glorious almighty God of the Bible. That's who we're singing to. And that should be the content of our songs. The almighty God should be the main character of our songs. He should be the subject and his wondrous, glorious character should be at the center. That's point number one. God's people sing of who he is. Point number two, God's people sing of what he's done. God's people sing of what he's done. So with this song, Israel essentially retells the story that just happened. You kind of see that? They just kind of retell the Exodus story uh, in pretty cool detail, in vivid detail. They use all kind of cool imagery and stuff. It's pretty neat. Uh, So look at how they describe the enemy. Look at verse 9. Uh, Verse 9, the enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. And look how they describe the actions of God in verse 8. Verse 8, by the blast of your nostrils the waters piled up, the surging waters stood up like a wall, the deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. (laughs) That's cool imagery right? But don't get lost in the imagery, all right? Because, because of all the imagery, you might fail to realize that this is actually very careful record keeping. It's very careful record keeping. In fact, this is often how ancient people kept records. They kept them through song. By singing the song, memorizing the song, passing the song down from generation to generation, it was a way for them to remember. It was a way for them to keep careful records of their history, Well, this is what's happening here. This song will be passed down from generation to generation so that each generation can remember what God has done for them. Right? Now, this art has been somewhat lost today, I think that's a tragedy. I think it's it's actually kind of difficult to overstate the importance of careful record-keeping in our spiritual journey. And so uh, when we get together and we talk about the songs that we're going to sing on Sundays, this is no accident. We're, thinking very, we're trying to think very hard about that, the songs that we sing on Sundays, uh, because of this principle. We want to sing about God, his character, and we want to sing about what he has done, okay? This is very, very important. It's hard to overstate the importance of it. Uh, through song, through our prayers, which are in very intentional also, and through preaching, which is obviously very intentional, there we remember, we retell the story of what our great God has done for us, you see? Now, one of the things my wife and I do periodically, you know, like when we go out to eat sometimes or when we celebrate our anniversary, like one thing we like to do uh, over dinner is like we just kind of talk about how we got together. We just love doing that. Like we love just kind of retelling the story uh, of, you know, how we met. You know, there's some funny elements to that. We like telling that. And then uh, we, we like talking about how we fell in love. Uh, we like talking about our wedding day, you know, how we got married. And so we're just retelling the story Uh, together, and you you married couples, you probably do the exact same thing. Now, why? Why do we do this? Why do we, I mean, Catherine and I probably retold the story to each other like 50 times. The same story. Like, why are we doing that? Is it because we have bad memories? Well, I'm sure one day that will be the reason we do it. Because we literally forgot (laughs) how we did it. But, for right now, that is not the reason we do it. Why do we do it? Well, for two reasons. Number one, because it fills our hearts with joy right now. It adds to our enjoyment of each other right now. Like, like my heart just swells up when we talk about it. You know, I just think I just love reliving those moments when I first met her. You know, when we, when we first fell in love. I love that. You know, it fills my heart with joy currently, right now, you know. Well, likewise, this is what Christians do. We retell the love story between us and our Creator, and it fills our hearts with joy. It, you know what I mean? It, just, it makes our joy just bubble over when we think about how when we first met Jesus and how He radically saved us out of our pigsty. <laughs> you know, it just, it's awesome, isn't it? We'd love to think about that. We love to sing these songs that remind us of how much He loves us, remind us of His staggering grace and scandalous mercy towards sinners like us. Oh, man, it's awesome. We love to do that, right? It adds to our joy of our God. But secondly, Christians, we do this because it grows our faith. It grows our faith in him. I mean, how can we know that God is good? Like, how can we know that we know that we know? Well, we know that we know that we know by recounting all the ways he's already proven himself to be good, right? Let's think together. Now, if you noticed, we didn't read the whole chapter today. We didn't. We stopped at verse 21, right? Why do we do that? Well, we stopped at verse 21 because the song stops there. The song stops there. The singing stops in verse 21. And in verse 22, the desert begins. The desert begins. Now, I hate to break this to you, but the desert is coming, y'all. It's coming. It's coming for you. It might not come this year. It might not come next year the year after, but it is a coming. Some of you might be in a desert right now. If you're not, a desert is coming. There will be a season of dryness, a season of pain, a season of doubt, a season of struggle in your life. It will come. If it's not here now, it's on its way. And in those desert seasons... We need the songs of remembrance. We got to have them. We got, we got to have them. We need to sing these songs to recount all the ways in which our God has proven himself good. Why? Because there will come a time in the desert when we will look around us and seem to find no evidence at all of God's goodness. It will be nothing but a dry and parched land. And we see no evidence at all that God is good. And so we sing. We sing to remember. To remember. We don't just state the facts, right? We sing. We sing. You see, singing is a gift that God has given to his people. He's given us, look at this amazing imagery that we have here. You know, verse eight. We have by the blast of your nostrils the waters piled up. <laughs> this whole chapter is filled with this striking imagery, isn't it? And that's exactly what our hearts need. They don't need just dry statements of facts. No, 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 no. We need music. We need poetry. We need imagery to help us see the wonders of our God and his goodness, we need it, we're desperate for it. We gotta have it, and so music is a gift, song is a gift, it helps us remember the wonders of God, and the wonders of his goodness. And you know, it's interesting that scholars say, and I didn't know this until this week, scholars say that this chapter was the first chapter Moses wrote regarding the book of Exodus. This, I don't know how they know that. They do scholarly things and figure that out. But uh, I don't know how they know that. But they said that this is the first chapter written. Now, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? The poetry precedes the prose. The song precedes the sermon. Moses, when he was going to tell the story of the Exodus, the first thing he did was write a song. That's more profound than I can see that you understand. (laughs) Moses began with a song of victory before he wrote the book of Exodus. Pretty wild, huh? Point number three in your outline. So we sing of who God is, yes. Sing of what he's done. And then point number three. God's people sing of what he will do. Sing of what he will do. You might have missed that. But uh, this Song of Israel, if you notice, they're not just singing about who God is. They're not just singing about what God has done. They're also singing about what he will do in the future. So in verses 13 through 18, they're all about what God will do for Israel at a later time. Okay? So that's kind of interesting. Uh, But what's even more interesting to me uh, is that these future events, are actually described in the past tense. Okay, so that's kind of weird. If you look at the language in verses 13 through 18, they're talking about future events as if they're in the past tense. Now, what's going on here? (laughs) Why is that? Well, actually, God does this a lot in Scripture. God describes future events in the past tense. Why? Well, our God talks about things that will happen as if they've already happened because that's how certain it is that they are going to happen they might as well have already happened (laughs) they're so sure to come to pass such is our god's great power and the power of his promises if he says it's coming it's coming period He will give his people a home. He will dwell with them as his people. He will forever reign with and over his people. This will make all the other peoples of the earth tremble. What does that mean for you and me? Well, here's what it means. It means you and me, we can sing of our glorious future with God as if it's already happened. (laughs) Because that's how sure the promise is. It's as good as done. (laughs) Right? Scripture says we're already seated with Christ. How can that be? What? What do you mean I'm already seated with Christ? It's because it's so certain that you might as well already be seated on Jesus' throne. It's that certain. Your names are already written there. Your seat next to Jesus is already there. And it's so certain that you will sit in that seat that Jesus talks about it in the past tense. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. If God tells you it's going to rain, uh, you better grab an umbrella because you're going to get wet if you don't. It is going to rain. <laughs> and if God tells you that even your future sins will be forgiven, and that you he has prepared a place for you, and that you will live in an et- eternal dwelling with him, if he tells you that, then... uh. You better get your feet to dancing and your voice to singing because this is good as done. (laughs) It's as good as done. You could take it to the bank, baby. Okay, so in closing, this is a pretty cool song, but what do we do with it? Like, what do we do with the song of Moses? This is neat. You know, it's kind of a retelling of the Exodus story, you know, the salvation through the Red Sea and all that. That's neat. But what do we do with it? Like as modern people, like wasn't this just a song for the people of Israel? You know, thousands of years ago, wasn't that the context? And it's cool for us to see and say, oh man, that's kind of neat. You know, is that what it's about? Is it just for Israel thousands of years ago? Actually, uh, no. No, it's not. In fact, you and I, we'll be singing this very song forever forever we'll be gathered just like this with a few more people and we'll be singing this song forever you don't believe me it's okay i'll prove you i'll prove myself correct because in revelation chapter 15 john the revelator here's what he says check this out John says, and I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sang the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. (laughs) They sang the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. You see, folks, in one sense, Scripture has lots of different people singing lots of different songs. But in another sense, there really is only one song in the Bible, the song of the Lamb. You see, in Revelation, John calls the song of Moses the song of the Lamb. They're one and the same. It's the same. You see, because the real redemption that this song was referring to, that pointed forward to, is the one you and I sing about every single Sunday. We gather on Sundays to sing about the victory of our Lamb. Jesus Christ, who has defeated our enemies on the cross and after three days rose from the dead, holding the keys of death and hell in his nail-scarred hands. We gather and we sing the song of the Lamb because our victorious Lamb needs more than a dry statement of the facts. No, he needs a song. He needs a song, a song of victory. And that's exactly what we're going to give him not just today not just on sundays but forever we will all stand beside the sea of glass and we will sing a song of victory to our lamb since as it turns out the drama of redemptive history is actually a musical it's a musical If you think two million people singing together in unison is an event to behold, check this scene out. John continues. John says this in Revelation. He writes, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And then John says this. He says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They Circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice, they were singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. <laughs> I can't wait to join that chorus, can you? <laughs> and sing the song of victory with billions and billions of angels and saints as it turns out the drama of redemption is a musical